All right. So I'm with Grace Broderick, and we are in the Japanese Garden in Hyde Park, Chicago. Good to have you here. It's so nice to be back. It's nice to be here in person with you. Yeah, the last time we recorded, uh, you were in Bristol, England. I was. I was in Bristol. I was on Zoom. Yeah. And I was in my apartment on <laughs> Zoom. Now today, this is a beautiful setting. Is there, is there a name for this sure. area? Um, this is the Japanese garden. It's in Jackson Park, which is right behind the science and industry. Yeah. And it's a kind of an overcast day, kind of cool, a little windy. Hopefully our mics are okay. <laughs> yeah, well, we, windy city. <laughs> we were gonna record yesterday, and yesterday was 100 degrees and sunny. Yep. And then Grace was like, hey, what do you think about moving it another day so that we're not recording uh in the heat and i was like that's a great idea <laughs> thank god very smart that's that's a uh, very smart individual um, here <laughs> a very sweaty individual <laughs> yeah this is a uh, it's a cool spot uh it's very relaxing yep. i hope i hope listeners and viewers can hear the the lovely waterfall in the background and... oh it's great here so you're from Hyde Park. I am, yep. Uh, I went to the University of Chicago High School over here, lab school, um, which is in Hyde Park, and I've lived here for 23 years now, yep. And so you're in England, but now you're back for a little bit. Yes. I went to England, and I was I like, know. hey, what are you up to? And she's like, actually, I'm in Chicago. I just missed you. I feel like it was a week off or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so now you were in Bristol, and yes. now you're in Cambridge. I am, yep. I finished up my master's at Bristol, so okay. I graduated in February. And then I start my PhD at Cambridge in October, October 1st. Okay, so what are you getting your doctorate in? Um, it's in earth sciences, um, but more specifically, I'm doing paleontology. So yeah. I'm studying ancient birds right now. Yeah. And so, my bad, I got here, I took, I took a, a, a wrong path, <laughs> but it gave you some extra time to bird watch yes, a little um, bit, yep, which you, you have a spectacular eye for it and are very knowledgeable about it. right when i come in you're like hey check out that bird it yeah. came from it came from uh central and south america yep <laughs> and then it's gonna go back in the winter absolutely i it's this is one of the best birding spots actually in chicago is this this whole like jackson park wooded isle area yeah which is just kind of amazing in an urban city that there's such a diverse array of wildlife around us it's really relaxing yes What's that bird over there, that big one? That is a great blue heron. And it's pretty great. Lives up to the name. <laughs> What's the difference between a great blue heron and a blue heron? I don't know if there is a blue heron. Oh, well, there's other herons. There's a little blue heron. Um, those are, I've seen one in the south in Georgia. They're just smaller. I think people just like adding great to the, a lot of birds' names. <laughs> there's a great white egret. We saw one earlier. There was a great white egret again, but there's not really a lame white egret <laughs> great is one of those overused terms i feel like yes it is <laughs> but everyone just calls it a blue heron and in the uk we have some oh there's a fish too in the uk we have some that are very similar but they're the gray heron but they're they're okay. essentially the same just the european version <laughs> yeah i feel relaxed here yeah <laughs> this Good. is always this has always been on my spot uh-huh in chicago like chicago hidden gems and absolutely um, is I've been here for so long and this is uh, like the second week in a row that mm -hmm. I've gone somewhere like hidden gems or, or places that have been on my personal awesome. kind of bucket list. Where'd you Chicago. go last time then? I went to the Three Arts Club Cafe. 
in the like restoration building. Oh, there, in, yeah. Uh, My Gold mom Coast. loves to go there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so this is kind of like, I'm like checking off. Yes, absolutely. Hidden gems. I'm oh, like, oh, it's it summer. I should do some things. <laughs> oh, he scared away the little black crown night heron. But. And then there's this big koi that was here earlier, right? Oh, we got a lot of them right there. Oh, yeah, there's a couple. I don't know if the cameras can pick them up, but that would be pretty cool. They are orange and they are large. <laughs> now, uh. Yeah. So it's been a little bit. Mm hmm. And the last time we talked, we were talking about uh, paleobiology. We we're talking about uh, dinosaurs and <laughs> yeah. all types of good things. And you had mentioned you were going to go to Africa. Yes. To do a dig. Yep. Do you want to uh, share that experience? Sure. It was unreal. And uh, as events are unfolding currently, it's probably once in a lifetime now. Um, so I went to the country of Niger for um, one month on a dig. Uh, currently, Niger is under a lot of political stress right now. Um, the embassies, the American embassies and other embassies have already left the country yeah. because it's uh, under such uh, duress. So I don't, I don't foresee us ever going back to Niger again, at least myself, unfortunately, I would love to. It was an incredible experience. The people could not be like happier and kinder. Um, and it was just one of the experiences of a lifetime. It was a dinosaur dig to, for all ages. So it's not only you had this experience mm -hmm. doing, doing your work and, mm -hmm. and being out there in the field and learning, studying, researching. Yeah. You have that experience, but then you also have, you know, now the political stuff that you had mentioned. Yeah. So it kind of adds this like extra like, second layer of it that it it really does because I know this is a location that um, my boss who who took me here to Niger on this dig he's been going there for twenty five plus years and we've gotten so much material out of there he's in the works of um, building a museum there to bring all the dinosaur bones back so that um, they all go home. And he was in the process of making this incredible museum that would house them all and it could become a beautiful like tourist attraction for the country. Yeah. And, and I don't know where that's gonna go now that, well, the American embassy has left yeah. and it's um, in such turmoil, but. Hopefully it, it'll get back to where it was, but I don't know. Right now it's a little dubious. So you said the Russian government. That's my understanding, yeah. Okay. it's um, It was a democratic um, country, and now it's been taken over by an opposing force, and it's, it's being starved. It was being starved out to get them out of there, and yeah, it's just too bad. I, I don't know what his plans are right now then. But it's just sad because the, the people there were just so wonderful. It's 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 sad to think that they're going through such stress. Yeah. Yeah. But the dig itself was um, unreal in its own right. It, it was 130 degrees um, outside every day, middle of the Sahara, uh, sun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so separating the political aspect yes. with the uh, paleontology. Well, one, should I... So you had told me that. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that. Is that something I don't, I don't um, spend a lot of time trying to keep up with the news. Totally. Is that in the news or is it that? It is. It was in the news maybe mm, about a month ago. 
And it only caught my eye because I've never seen this very quiet country of Niger in the news before. I know I only knew about it because I do all this dinosaur work there. But if I hadn't, there there would really be no reason that I would have necessarily heard of of Niger. A lot of people I talk to when I say I went to Niger, they're like, "Do you mean Nigeria?" I'm like, "No, no, no, the one right next yeah, to yeah, it." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's only because I started, I sort of caught a glimpse of it in the headlines in the world news sections and whatnot. Oh my gosh, that's That seems my like country. a pretty big thing, though. It does, it does. But it, it was in the news for a little while. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I also am not always the most current. Um, but this caught my eye, and I want to follow it as well as I can. Even though I haven't since I'm on vacation now. But So we're talking about time mm-hmm. and things that are contemporary happening quickly. Some things that happen slowly are fossils in the ground. Yep. <laughs> yes, indeed. Very, very Okay, so uh, take me back. Yeah. You're there on a dig for a month. Yes. What is kind of the... You get there. What's the daily process like? Um, well, we flew into Niamey, which is the capital, and then we took a plane ride to Agadez on the west... On further west in the country, just toward the middle of the Sahara. Um and then from there we would drive about three hours out to our dig site and we camped there for the entire month and um it was just camping it was hot it was dust storms um okay so one how do you get three hours we're in (laughs) well logistically it's a drive it's just a drive but boy it's a drive in these rickety old land rovers that paul my my boss paul has had since probably the 90s and have just been fixed up i mean if you looked into the engines i'm not much of a car girl i don't know anything about that but you i i know when you open the engines there shouldn't be duct tape everywhere um (laughs) and that's how these things are being kept together Uh, so what what happens hypothetically if uh you're in the middle of the desert and something happens i know luckily we with us we had a team of um a number of um, people from niger to help us plus every person had two military guards um, so we actually had about 70 military um, people with us in their trucks with their machine guns and stuff. And they all came out with us um, to wherever we were going. And this was uh, because of some previous experiences that my boss had in Niger with bandits. So it wasn't for any okay. terrorist um, fears, anything like that. It's just, it's the middle of the Sahara. And if someone's coming through with a bunch of water and a bunch of yeah. really great materials, we're easy pickings, um, but not anymore because we um, we had about 70 guards with us who, again, could not be more, like, sweet and excited to be there. They'd come by the dig site and be like, are you digging up dragons? And we're like, basically, yeah. That's amazing. Pretty much. Okay, so you get to the... One, how do you know that there are fossils mm-hmm. at the site you're going to if it's in the middle of the desert. Well, one thing that um, my boss does is he employs people of that region so they could be nomads there. And as we were out there, there was actually every now and then we'd see a camel go by with a few people and people just sort of walking by and you're kind of like, where are they? Where did they come from and where are they going? Because they're in the middle of nowhere. But there is traffic in terms of nomads out there. Um, And he has people that uh, in Niger that he worked for him and they kind of go out on their motorbikes. And he's taught them what to look for because the thing about the Sahara is it's always being weathered down with the sand and everything. Um, So bones are constantly coming back to the surface. So all they have to do is kind of walk out. Paul's told them what to look for. They go out and they say, hey, I think there's something here. 
send some pictures back to Paul and he says, I'll be there in a year, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Mark it and I'll be there. Wow. Yeah. So then you get to the site, you say camp. Mm -hmm. what, is a, what is a camp it's a tent, site look it's like? It's tents, it's pitching tents. Um, okay. It's pitching up big, big tents where we had our kitchens and our um, sort of uh, tech tents. And yeah, we brought out, let me think, five thousand liter gallon sort of I don't know uh, jugs uh, jug isn't even the right word since they were, had their own car for them because um, that was our water for the for the time being luckily where we were since it was only a three-hour drive back to the city of Agadez if we needed anything we could send one of the um, people of Niger back because he had a pickup truck so he could go back and get something if we desperately needed it which didn't happen. The only thing that really happened was he went and came back with beers, which was very nice, but <laughs> very essential. But um, yeah, so. Okay, so in the morning, mm -hmm. you guys wake up, you guys have breakfast. Yep, we wake up. We wake up at about six, except all of the guards would get up at about five and start playing music. So we all ended up getting up at five. Nice. Um, uh, and We'd head out to the field pretty early so it wouldn't be too hot. So we'd head out maybe 7.30, something like that. And we'd work till about 6 and 6, 6.30. That's when the sun would go down. And our campsite was really only... We, we were camping very close to where we were digging. So we'd okay. take our little Land Rovers and drive for two minutes to the to the um, dig site. Um, and so, yeah, it was pretty pretty easy on that front. So then, then it was just a day of work. You get back at 6. What do you do from 6 till you go to bed? We eat. Um, it's a lot, you know, it, I was with a lot of people I'd never met before, so it was really nice to just get to know people and yeah. make friends and swap stories. Most of the team was from Spain, um, so it was oh, really? very, very cool to meet so many people and um, make new connections there. And, of course, I have a lot of old friends that I've been working with for 10 years as well, so it's always nice to see them. Honestly, I know some of them, like some of the Spanish were staying up really late with how much work we were doing. I think I was in bed at like 8.30 every night <laughs> to okay. get up at 5. <laughs> I was just so tired. The sun too, you're out in the sun too. Yeah, the sun was brutal. We all have our hats and stuff and we're all wearing long sleeves. That's the yeah. name of the game out there. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. Yeah, and of so, course the nights were nice and cool, so it was perfect sleeping weather. <laughs> What kind of uh, tech is it? Was it like, are you guys unplugged essentially? Essentially. Or you guys have com communication back We have to, some, yeah. surprisingly, I had like 4G out there, nice. which was really, really surprising. I told my family goodbye for a month. I'll never yeah. talk to you. I won't be talking to you at all. Then I was like, oh, actually, hi. Um, but we had a lot we brought a lot of portable generators um so we could work machines like small um small and big um jackhammers and whatnot because those are needed to at least get all this rock around the bones out uh, once we get down to the bones then it's pickaxes chisels brushes so what kind of fossils are you digging up there uh so out there we're digging the one that i was at so the month that i was there we were digging up sauropods which are the big long neck ones oh, yeah. yep um, they're kind of a new species, so we're not exactly sure what it is, but it's it's some new sauropod out there. Now, is is Africa the next frontier of exploration for paleontology? Oh, it's always been really. Um, my my boss was was part of has been in Africa for a very long time, yeah. and bones have been coming out of Africa 
since the 30s at least probably yeah. even earlier um since we started really uh learning about dinosaurs yeah it's every continent really has has its um specialties with dinosaurs like america as we know has some incredible dinosaurs out west um and a lot of africa also does does too and then china has its own um um asia in general but china specifically they're like they're Kobe kind Desert. of famous yeah they're famous for the small beautiful birds that come out um from the end of the mesozoic era so like between 65 million to like 100 million years ago um they're famous for these beautifully preserved birds which you can't find in like africa and america just the preservation isn't the same it's not as good yeah but because birds are so fragile that they don't um, fossilize very often but china for example is a place where they really somehow did they were just it was the right conditions so every continent really has its uh has its dinosaurs <laughs> do you think yeah there's a an area on a continent where we're gonna find even grander oh i don't know if they're or are we like tapped out oh definitely not tapped out but if we are it probably would be africa because with the the erosion from the sand depending where you're looking that's what i was curious about yeah the erosion from the sand we leave it for 50 years come back new things will have risen to the surface for sure so yeah, Africa will always be producing. South America has some fantastic, massive dinosaurs. Those yeah. are where the um, the biggest sauropods, like the I think there was a big titanosaur. exhibit, titanosaur yeah. was from, and all those kind of guys. Yep. I'd love to do work in South uh, South America, except these days I would be going for the live birds, not the big dead <laughs> lizards, reptiles. Yeah, you have. Um... A great, uh, the word great, curiosity <laughs> for birds. I do. Um, and it's it's been a lot of fun actually intersecting my love of birds with dinosaurs. And it's been perfect. That's what I'm doing for my PhD. <laughs> There's quite a connection. There is. And I never really thought about it too hard. Birds are descendants of dinosaurs. Birds technically are dinosaurs. They're just descended from them um, in the same way that we descended from apes. Um, Except, of course, we still have apes that are around today. The difference is birds don't have their relatives, the dinosaurs, with us anymore. Um, Yeah, and when I was growing up, I was a dinosaur girl all the way. I wanted to do the big scaly ones. I wanted to dig up the, the, the biggest, baddest ones I could find. And that's what I wanted to study. I wanted to study them and... Just because they're, they're, I mean, they are fascinating beyond belief. But then I got into birds in 2020, thanks to a, I may have said this on my last one, but yeah. thanks to a, an ornithology class I took for fun, honestly, as a joke. Like, my friends and I were not into birds. We were like, this guy's doing a bird class. Wouldn't it be funny if we took it? It could be, we've, we've got an, ector, an extra elective. Why don't we just do it for fun? Yeah. We couldn't care less about birds going into that class, but the professor was so passionate about it. And every week we went on bird walks. Um, instead of class, we'd go for a bird walk and learn about the birds around us. And we were like, this was actually so cool. <laughs> so then I was, it was kind of easy to say, okay, I want to do dinosaurs, yes, but I want to switch it to ancient dinosaurs in the forms of birds. And there are so many of them and they're beautiful. They're feathered. They, they look almost like birds today, almost, not quite, but. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but That's they're still awesome. 65 to 100 million years old. <laughs> so what do you think is the value of the studying the ancient mm-hmm. birds and 
its value in connecting it to today? Sure. Well, one aspect of what I'm doing for my PhD is I'm going to be studying an ancient bird called Confucius Ornus, found in China. Confucius. Yeah. So yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful little bird. Um, and what I'm going to be doing is uh, trying to understand the way its foot worked. So just whether it could grasp, whether it could climb, how, how it functioned. And what I do is the only way to really have a good idea of what it is is to compare it to modern birds because their feet look pretty dang similar. So I'll compare it to a bunch of different modern birds. Um, and so that's a big intersection there. Uh, something I'd love to get into down the road uh, would be its conservation paleobiology, where yeah, you, you use the that. past to infer the future, to make connections to the current, um, going through mass extinctions and understanding that we are, in a sense, in a mass extinction right now. Maybe how we, how we can understand what types of birds will need our protection the most based on um, past mass extinctions, what kind of animals seemed to have needed the help the most, things like that. And of course, those weren't our doing, but it's still a mass extinction. Yeah, elaborate on that. So mm -hmm. we're going through an extinction right now. Have you read the book Six Extinction? I have six? not, no. It's I'm... on my bookshelf. I haven't read it yet. I, I definitely um, need to. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Uh... <laughs> yeah, elaborate on the... Uh that we're going through another extinction right now. Well, sure. I mean, we're in a biodiversity crisis of our own right now. We're losing so many um, species and it's mostly due to climate change. Um, and yes, the world has experienced many climate events in the past, but they haven't honestly been as rapid as the one that we're seeing today, even the most extreme of them. Um, the biggest extinction was just before the dinosaurs actually it was the it was the one that actually allowed the dinosaurs to flourish was at the uh, beginning of the triassic the end permian extinction and that wiped out over 90 percent of all life on earth so 90 percent of everything was just gone and we're not at those types of levels of course and then the end of the dinosaurs was about 65 um, percent of all life but studying those and understand understanding why they went extinct, what the climate events were. A lot of them, many of them were actually global warming events in the sense that the world was getting hotter in some, in some capacity. So we can compare them um, to the current crisis and understand, you know, maybe look at how, oh, species that uh, inhabited these types of areas, these are the ones that really seem to um, die off in the, large, in the greatest amounts. So let's focus our efforts on how we can preserve those right now. Or species like this one, well, whatever, actually did pretty well throughout these. So we could probably, I think we should make sure that we protect as much as we can, but we might not need to focus on XYZ species as much. Because we do have limited resources, limited manpower to protect every species on the planet. So it might help knowing yeah. which ones to protect. How many species do we have? Oh God. Planet? I Do you have know that? no idea. I know we have about roughly 10,500 species of birds, just birds. Just birds. So okay. I can't even tell you. It's probably double or triple that for bugs and insects. Um, yeah, I'm actually not What about sure. mammals? Do you know the mammals? Oh, I'm not a mammal girl. I don't know much about mammals. <laughs> I'm a bird girl. That's all I know. <laughs> What's your... 
The funnest fact about birds. Oh God, about birds. Um, well, I love swifts because there are swifts that migrate um, up and down. They can go from like uh, from Canada all the way back down to South America, and they do the same sort of. The uh, it's funny when you're in Europe. You have similar birds that do the exact same thing. They go from the UK down to Africa. So it's like the same thing, just on different hemispheres. These swifts will stay on the wing for up to four months and never touch land, never touch the ground for four months. They just fly. They fly through the night. They eat, they sleep, they poop. They do everything just on the wing. And it's pretty incredible. That is for really four incredible. months. They yeah, don't yeah. touch earth. <laughs> yeah. I watched uh we talked about prehistoric planet. Yeah. And uh, I did see some of that. It's great. I haven't seen the second se- second season. I don't know which what I watched. I was on the I was on a plane to London. Gotcha. And I was going through all the different things. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. It was like everybody told me, "Oh, you should try to get some sleep before you go over jet lag, whatever." Yeah. I was like, "I'm sorry, I can't fall asleep right now." What's what do we got it here? And I saw a prehistoric hey, planet. And yep. I watched uh, two episodes. One sure. was these birds. Mm-hmm. I, it was a... I don't know the one. It was of the like pterodactyl sure. family. Sure. So those are the flying reptiles, yep. Yeah. Yep. And they're... So they're not considered birds. They they're are not, and reptiles. they're also not dinosaurs. Fun fact: um, so those guys aren't dinosaurs okay. either. They're just they're just good old flying reptiles. They're in the they're in a league of their own. And it was narrated by David Attenborough. Oh, my heart, love that man. <laughs> and uh, some great shots. Some great. Well, they're not like yes. live shots, but it great was really CGI. cool. They had the uh, they were up on these like dead. They were born over here, mm-hmm. or they hatched out of these birds in the middle of the water on this big, these big stones. Yep. Then they had to get to land and get to the forest. And the video, they start off with like, like a thousand. Sure. And they're all, they start going and then predators just oh, snatch them up. Classic. And by the end of this sequence, there's like two birds that were left. <laughs> oh my God. Or two, not birds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flying reptiles. I was like, oh wow. Oh, it's tragic. I do. I love that show. It is really fun to think of watching them in nature the way you watch any other David Attenborough documentary. Oh, and you still feel bad for them, even though they're just CGI. They're not even real. Yeah, they talk about how, like, they talk a lot about this individual, you know, kind of species and what Mm -hmm. they have to do and blah, blah, blah. And then they're all, like, pretty much dead. (laughs) There's another one with the little sea turtles. Oh, my gosh. They're talking about the little Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Oh, I did see that one. That's a sweet one. And then they're trying to get the little uh, little turtles that are hatched in the sand, and then they have to get to the water. So it's kind of like the same thing. It is, it is. And, of course, that still happens today, that whole turtle fiasco. They're hardy little guys. (laughs) Do uh, Do you ever think about kind of the just nature and kind of the sheer reality slash brutalness oh my gosh all the time i mean we kind of just saw very like you and i sitting here very very uh small scale 
a um, great blue heron came over and we there was a little black crowned night heron that was doing some fishing and he's been fishing here all morning big old great blue heron came over and just pushed him out of his little fishing spot because he could he can't comp compete with that now the little heron has to go find somewhere else to fish and if it's not as good a spot he won't eat for the rest of the day um which gosh i can't imagine but uh it is it, it is brutal. I was just talking to a friend of mine about, um, have you heard of the bar barnacle geese? No. I can't remember right the second where they are, where they're located, but they live on cliff sides. They nest on these cliff sides that are 40, sorry, 400 feet tall. It's to protect from where predators. Where is this? I where? wish I could remember yeah. right now. 400 feet Barnacle cliffs. geese, barnacle geese. Uh, this rock I don't is... want to get it wrong. Okay. <laughs> but they... They're born, the babies are born onto these 400 foot cliffs. And when they're born, the parents say, okay, now we got it. Now that you're born and you can run away from predators, because they're born pretty able to like walk and run. They can't fly. But, you know, moments after they're born, the parents get up and say, all right, let's go down to the water now. And now we can eat and drink and whatever. So these little tiny barnacle geese that are less than an hour old have to jump down 400 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and only one third of them ever make it. Like, one third? That's, I don't know, this seems pretty decent. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. These clutches have three to four eggs, so one or two of them make it, but these little birds have to take this leap down 400 feet, and most of them don't make it because they splat 400 yeah. feet below. But some of them can catch the wind just right, and they are so small, they kind of just bounce and make it. It's, but that's, that's brutal. <laughs> and they just know to do it. They just... The parents say, come on, get down here. Yeah. And, you know, they can't ride on their parents' back. That's not not too easy. But Speaking of brutal, is this rock I'm sitting on? <laughs> Do you want to trying trade? To sit on? No, no, no. I'm just trying to figure out the best angle. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, like a poem in uh -huh. this uh, Zen garden we have going on. Yeah. Where exactly. it's like okay, trying to I'm find calmness while sitting on an uncomfortable actually i think this is a good good he just did it again this blue yeah. this big blue, great blue heron just came in and scared away the poor little black crown night heron by the way the black crown night heron's the one who has to go back to central and south america so he needs to stock up for the journey <laughs> that's always remarkable mm -hmm. just that they migrate every season incredible it's it's truly amazing. They don't need passports or anything. They can just go. How how long do they live? Um, it very much depends. Certain birds live longer than others. I think birds. There are these. There are birds called albatross. They do a lot of migrating oh, yeah. as well. Big, beautiful seabirds. They look like seagulls, but much bigger and much more elegant. Um, and they can live. I think the oldest, one of the older ones right now, is in her sixties. Um, and she's flown, she's one of the birds, I can't remember the, the numbers right now, but she's flown the most of any bird on this planet that we know of, because she was tagged when she was an adult, but even just with her tagged information, they can see her going across the planet, and she's traveled more than any other um, bird. You gotta look up this, this albatross, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful story, and she's still kicking, she's still flying. But that's the thing too about these journeys, mm -hmm. You think, oh, the albatross, it's a big bird. It can make that distance. Yeah. But no, there's little small birds. Those little swifts I was talking yeah. about. There's some of the, they're not the smallest birds in the world, but they're, they're, they're small. They're, they're the little sort of 
wallows and swifts that you see yeah. darting around. Yeah, those guys, they make incredible journeys as well. That's why places like Chicago are so important for birds because it's a major stopover before they make a big jump across because a lot of them are going to Canada. So Chicago turns into this sort of um, this beautiful hub, this stop where all these birds sit. They stock up to refuel before they jump across the lake. Um, and that's why we have so many birds here. My goodness. <laughs> okay, air horn. Yeah. It's quite a unique space to have mm -hmm. this in an urban environment. Yes, I do love, I, I got my whole start in birding in urban environments. Like, not, and I, you know, I wasn't going into the middle of forests to find birds and you don't have to. I mean, I, anywhere you go, I promise your local park has some birds. You just need to take the time to look. Cause I, I lived in Chicago, like I said, for 23 years. And for the first 20 of them, I, I, I could only see pigeons and sparrows. That's all I saw. And I was like, that's why I didn't really care. I was like, yeah. I see them. That's all we got here. Wrong. So wrong. There's over 300 bird species in Chicago and you just need to take the time to see them to actually look. And it, sometimes it doesn't even take that much. We're sitting right here and we've got um, a whole David Attenborough documentary in our backyard. It's so uh, perfect for life. It's such a metaphor. <laughs> it's like you find what you're looking for. Yeah, get off your phones and look up. No, but um, of course I use my phones when I'm bird watching. But um, it, it is so true. And it, bird watching is such a wonderful excuse to get out into nature and really look at it. Yeah. So calm. It is. Yeah, this weather is better than yesterday. Fantastic. And the birds, I'm sure, you wouldn't even want to go bird watching in weather like yesterday. They, they wouldn't even be out. They're staving up their energy to try not to. So when is that hot? They're, they're finding oh. shade too? Yeah, I mean, they got to go out to do some things. A lot of birds actually regulate their body temperature with their feet because the way that their blood flows, it goes down to their feet and back up into their body. So they'll stand in the water so that the hot blood will go into their feet and then come back up cold. Um, so if people have bird baths in their backyards, they, that's, they, they'll love you for that, for sure. Love you for, the, for drinking it too, but it, it's a really great thing in the summers to have bird baths for them. I was, uh, so that's why bird baths exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, people, you know, they'll come drink out of it, of course. But yes, I've definitely seen a lot of birds, or they'll use it to literally bathe, um, get all the oils off from the city. Huh. I was so determined yesterday. Once, mm -hmm. when everybody was talking about how hot it was and how yeah. hot it was going to be, I'm like, I became so determined to jump in the lake. And I, did you? I did. Oh, amazing. So I was, this summer, I live like right on the beach. Sure. And I haven't, I let life just pass me by and just like not. <laughs> You've never. Not fully appreciated it. Sure. In a way this summer. Yeah. So I'm like, this would be a great opportunity to do that. Oh, good. I'm so then I, I jumped in and it was so refreshing. I love it. Oh, oh it's my fantastic. Gosh. My own little bird bath in Lake Michigan. Exactly. They're just like us. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> they are. I just got back from a trip to, um, uh, we have a home in Ohio on Lake Erie. And yeah, it got it, it wasn't that hot, but it's a smaller lake, so it stays um it gets warm pretty fast and it was it was pretty warm. Yeah. Like jumping in there. But it was perfect for a hot day. Man. Yeah. So what's uh what are you excited for coming up, like in the next six months? Oh, well I start my PhD in on October first in Cambridge. 
and it's very daunting, but I'm really excited about it. Um, it it's going to be a very interesting next chapter in my life and something that I've kind of been working toward yeah. for my whole life. <laughs> what drew you to Cambridge? Um, well, there's a the lab that I'm working in is with this professor, Dan Field, and he is exactly what I was looking for in terms of both just a professor, great guy, really, really nice, but also his, stu his studies, what he focuses on, is exactly what I want. Everyone in the lab is studying birds, and they're studying paleo birds. Now, a lot of them, a lot of them are studying a little bit more um, extant, so a little bit more on the modern bird side, but yeah. the whole point of his lab, we're in the Earth Sciences Department, the whole point is the intersection between paleontology and um, modern birds. So it's exactly where I want to be. It's exactly what I'm studying as well. Um, so that was the main draw. Once I, I started hearing this guy's name and what he's, he was doing, what, what his field of study was, um, I, I really wanted to be there for that because it's just it's exactly what I want to study. And it, he's also a major birder really into bird watching he's probably he's one of the best bird watchers i've ever met he can just a bird will fly by so quickly and he, he can tell you exactly what it was i i'm i'm a lot more um i, I really have to take a good look at the bird usually sure. usually um in chicago i don't have to as much because I've, I've gotten to know our local birds pretty well okay but good lord we we had a um conference in malaga spain all new birds to me really and every bird, he, he just identify immediately, he can identify sounds. It's, it's beyond impressive, and I hope to learn from him, not just on my actual studies, but I hope to learn to become a better bird watcher too with him. Wow. And of course, a lot of people in the lab also are bird watchers, so it's, it's just a lot of fun that I automatically Quite a community. have such yeah, yeah. a like, bird watching, bird crazy community. <laughs> um, so yeah, the community is a big part of it. Um, and just, yeah, in, in general. And Cambridge is lovely. I'm so happy to be there. Really nice little town. It's not even that little, but it's a really nice town for sure. Yeah, I have, is that, I feel like all the universities in England I have the certain architecture. Yeah, the, the, Cambridge is a lot more of what you think of when you think of a sort of classic British town. City. Yeah. It's a city. It's it's got a lot of people, but I mean, I just say town because it's not London. It, even Bristol was a lot more uh, cosmopolitan. Really, it had skyscrapers. Oh, really? Bristol had skyscrapers and a lot of traffic. And Cambridge just is. Uh, I see more bikes on a day to day than I see cars, honestly. And it's just it's wonderful. That's awesome. Uh huh. Good for you. Uh, that's so exciting. It's so exciting too to see just someone who's found an interest mm -hmm. or curiosity or passion and just kind of followed it yeah and to see where it kind of leads you it kind of just yeah it's cool. I, I was definitely lucky to develop such an obsession so young because um, it has led my whole life where where I am today um, and yeah, yeah I definitely I feel very very fortunate that I was able to find what I wanted to do so young um, because I and I don't think you necessarily should even even by my age I don't think you necessarily have to know what you want to do I just got lucky that I got so obsessed with something and that's all I wanted yeah. to do <laughs> that's awesome all right yeah. my last question for you sure. what's something you're curious about recently Ooh, ooh, that's such a good question what am I curious about recently hmm mm -hmm. I have to think about that oh sorry this guy's coming over <laughs> Um, 
black-crowned night herons scooching his way over to us. Oh, I don't know. What am I curious about recently? Sorry, this is going to take, take a well, hot second. We're in a peaceful place. We are. Ooh, it just got a little hotter. I know, the yeah. wind stopped. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious. This isn't really... Um, this isn't like focused on any one thing, but uh, I guess I'm kind of curious how people, I'm sure I can look this kind of stuff up on YouTube, but like how people stay focused on tasks. <laughs> and it's not because I don't think, I don't think I have ADHD or anything like that, but I know that I, um, that I do wonder how my how even I myself stay focused because it sort of comes in waves sometimes I really can uh get hyper focused and complete something really well and sometimes not and it could be for the exact same assignment and so I just kind of am uh I like watching sort of YouTube about people uh their productivity and how they kind of how they get the momentum and how they lose it even and I think everyone's so different it's kind of just a fascinating thing and as I go into my PhD I'm I'm very determined to do to to work hard and do really well at it, but I also know that um, burnout is is somewhat inevitable. It's just lurking if I behind put, every corner. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I've gotten burnout in my wildlife photography. I've gotten yeah. burnout. I've gotten it in my interest for dinosaurs and everything, just because you you can get too much of a, of a good thing. But my mom always says that like everything in moderation. Um, and it's so true that that's, I guess, I guess for me, that is what keeps me motivated. But sometimes it feels weird when I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this thing that I know I love, but I just don't want to do it right now. Are you talking about like an individual task right in front of yeah, you or I just suppose, in general of like a... I suppose in general. And yeah. it's so interesting to me how different people, how different people think and how different people focus. I don't know. I like watching exposés and listening to a little bit of psychology here and there about it. It's something so out of my field that I know nothing about. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So what, what, are, what are some things you're coming across? Oh gosh, I have, I really only watch very basic people being like, oh, you know, I set timers. Sometimes that works for me. And I just like hearing what other people have to say. Big thing, of course, is like keeping wherever you're working, like uncluttered and that kind of thing, which is a mm. little hard. I'm not the most organized Okay. physically uh, organized human in the world so but um that's definitely something i want to work on which will be i think um very nice in my what throughout my phd to kind of develop that it's it's pretty developed but um yeah. to further develop we're always we're always getting better we're always learning that's right great attitude to have yeah well we thanks improve. thanks for meeting up with me today thank this you has been such a pleasure such a treat so nice so nice to meet you in person yeah 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 because yeah it's amazing and uh it's cool to see what you're doing and mm -hmm. learn about what you're learning about a lot of fun <laughs> Thanks. so thank you so much yeah, yeah. and uh glad we we're able to enjoy the park a little more after this yeah yeah i was just bit. about to say this mm -hmm. is and getting the space knocked off my bucket list perfect so oh, thanks again one. no problem thank you for having me this has been so nice